Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for being with us this morning and always. We pray uh, that your word will be spoken this morning, your word will be heard, and we ask that you would be with each one of us as we are on this journey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, My name is Julie Ogard. This is my husband, Craig. I'm just going to tell you that we've been married for 37 years. We have three children, 32, 28, and 26. And um, they're all grown and gone and and uh, moving on. And so we've had a little bit of experience with this, but um, it's never enough. There's, there's always so much more to learn. We learned a lot just trying to put together some ideas for you this week and, um, and preparing for this class to let you know some of the things we've learned, some of the things we did wrong, so that we can you can learn from our mistakes. But um, Craig's going to get going, and, and um, we're hoping to leave enough time at the end for you to ask any questions that you might have. Thanks. Thanks. All right, no pressure, because uh, my son and his wife are sitting right there. <laughs> he will hold up the Pinocchio signs as we move forward. And this here is my niece um, and her husband, Jordan and Aaron from Atlanta, Georgia. They're here this weekend with their three children. So uh, it's been uh, quite a weekend. Um, I feel like I need to stand here and just say ditto after the sermon. I don't know who was looking over whose shoulder, um, but actually it was very encouraging uh, to hear that sermon this morning. Uh, So I'm very grateful for that. Um, Why children need leadership? Um... Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. And then the fool says, There is no God. Um, Proverbs 29.15 says, But a child left to himself will bring disgrace and shame to his mother. Um, So children need leadership and guidance and direction. Um, and like all of us in this room, I'm assuming if we are in faith like us at one time, our children are dead in their trespasses and their sins. Um, and I have no illusions regarding my children. Yes, you, son. <laughs> that um, they are miserable offenders and they need the grace of God in their lives. And... Um, And maybe this will be an encouragement to you, Um, but you know what? It's not my job to save my children, and it's not your job either. That's not your job. There's only one, trying to make sure I say the right word, (laughs) only God can save our children. And so that's not our job. It's a work of God. It's a work of his grace and mercy in their hearts. Um, Ephesians 2, 4 and 8, again, Andrew alluded to that. But it's God who makes us alive. And this is not our own doing. It is a work of God by grace. First um, Peter 1, 3. But God in his great mercy, according to his great mercy, caused us to be born again. The work of, of, of grace in our, in, in our lives is a work of God that by grace causes us to be born again. 
It's his job. It's his work. So then, what do we do as parents? Just drop back 15 and punt and say, you got it, God. Um, and that's not, that's not the mandate. That is not the mandate. If you look um, in Genesis chapter 18, if you have a Bible and want to turn there, that's great. Uh, turn on your phone. I don't care. Whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> but in Genesis chapter 18, and I want to try to run through this so we give ourselves some time at the end, possibly for questions and answers. But, um, <clears throat> but God is... Um, Visited Abraham with, the, and then he's on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, and in verse 17 of chapter 18, he says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what am I about to do? And seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, and here's the, the key word, for I have chosen him that... He may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteous and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. That word that is a purpose word. That is a purpose word. Meaning, Abraham, is everybody okay? It's the chairs. It's the chairs. You just all go back? Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. Let's just chalk it up to that. <laughs> okay. Um, but the thread I want to weave right here with Abraham and his purpose, and that God, that God said, I have chosen him that he might direct his family. If you, if you go to Galatians in the book of Galatians chapter 3, you know, it talks about how by faith we are Abraham's children. We are heirs with Abraham into faith. Okay, so if that's true, then, then the mandate that Abraham got, is that, the right, is that correct to say God? Is that okay? Um, it's the same mandate that we have as parents of faith. And um, and, in, and in fact, if, and I'm going to flip to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, it's somewhere in this Bible. Um, as Peter talks, as Peter writes to the believers that he's writing to, and he, and, he, and he speaks to them about the faith that they've come into and, and, and what God has... Good golly, is it not in this? There it is. Okay, got it. Sorry. <clears throat> it might have been helpful to put tabs there. But as he's, as he's speaking, as he's writing to these believers in First Peter, um, he says, as you come to him, this is chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he drops down in verse 9 and he says this, but you, and he's talking to these believers, he's writing to these believers, excuse me. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. And here's the word again, that that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you, were not, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so this mandate flows out of the very identity that we have in Christ, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a people who belong to God, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him. And my, what I submit to you today is that that applies to our children. Proclaiming the excellencies of God to our children. Okay? Um, so, I want to read that thread. I'll give you a couple other verses. In Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Romans 10, 14, I love this. So what? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, part of our mandate is to speak the word of God into the lives and hearts of our children. To preach the gospel. And that's the context of Romans of Romans 10. Is, is the preaching of the gospel. And so there's there's our mandate. Am I to keep going or is it your turn? Okay. I don't, I don't. Yeah, we're going to let Julie come up. So there's the mandate. Okay, you got that? Julie's going to talk about some examples of leadership um, quickly, and uh, we'll move on. I mean, obviously there are verses in the Bible that, that are directly to parents, but I have always found it interesting to find examples of parenting. Um, it was pointed out to me years ago the difference between Noah and Lot, and we have to we're assuming a few things by reading their stories, but um, very interesting to see how, especially with Noah and Lot, they were both um, confronted with a life and death situation, but their families reacted completely differently. Um, in Genesis six, you know, everyone knows the story of Noah. God was very unhappy with the creation that he had done and wanted to um, wanted to destroy it. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is Genesis 6, verse 8. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. And Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. God speaks to Noah, tells him what he wants him to do. And God says, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. We don't know anything about the character of his sons, but God has included Noah and his family in his covenant with them. And in verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. And you go on and, and God tells Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. So Noah and his family were the only ones, the only ones saved. Um, again, huge assumption, but there's no indication that he had any blowback from his children. Um, even when he had years to build an ark, you know, we can assume his family was there. They, he was, they were with him, and they were still with him by the time he had finished what God had told him to do. Um, so obviously, there's something in Noah's fatherhood, something in his leadership that kept his family with him during a time of huge Upheaval. They didn't know what an ark was. They didn't know what rain was, um, but they, they followed him. They followed him into the ark. We're going to contrast Noah with Lot, Abraham's nephew, who was in Sodom when God decided to uh, destroy Sodom. And uh, this is in Genesis 19. Um, I'm sorry. Then the men said to Lot, the men, these are God's angels, messengers, whom else have you here? 
a son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So here's another life and death message. Someone coming to this man here on earth saying, God's doing a big thing. You and your family can be saved. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. They thought he was kidding, um, which have, has always been just so interesting to me. What was there about Lot and his character or his history with how reverent he was towards God that when he actually comes with a message of doom, they thought he was kidding. And when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters. Now the sons-in-law are out of the picture. um, Who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his daughters. For the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. I just have always thought that's just an interesting contrast between how Noah's family seemed to follow him without hesitation. Lot himself hesitated, and when he, had to, when he had to bring a strong word to his family and try to put them in a place where they would be saved, they thought he was kidding. They didn't believe him. Lot himself even hesitated, and we know that his wife didn't obey what, uh, what God said, looked back, and turned into a pillar of salt. So there was something in Lot's fatherhood, something in his leadership of his family, that when it was time to bring them a strong word and a word of salvation, they didn't believe him and they didn't follow. They didn't follow who God was. Um, Another example um, of a priest who was uh, not a great example of fatherhood, we've got Eli in 1 Samuel. And Eli was the priest. It says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. These were children who, you know, the priests... The priesthood carries on through the line, so they were to become priests also. But it says they were worthless. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Eli's sons were taking the offering that had brought that had been brought that was supposed to be presented to God, and t- and were picking out the best parts of it for themselves before um, presenting it to God. So it showed that they they despised the offering of the Lord. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? And did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry on an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons before me? So Eli was a father who had these wicked sons, and God is, is calling him to account for the fact that he was honoring his own sons greater than the, the charge that God himself had given him. Honoring your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel. And we know that the end of, the end of this was not good. His sons died. Eli himself died when he heard that his sons died. So... Um, here's a man of God who was in a position of authority in a position where um, God you know, chose Jesus, but his, he, the leadership of his own sons was beyond him. But we'll end on a happy note. Second Timothy, 
Um, this morning we read we read it in um, uh, in the service. Um, the story uh, Paul is writing to Timothy and encouraging him, trying to encourage him in his ministry towards the end of Paul's life, and he brings to account he he lets us know that Timothy was raised by a godly mother and grandmother. Um, in Second Timothy. 1 verse 5, for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Paul had that, that security that, um, that Timothy had been taught very well as a child by his mother and grandmother, and that this was going to do nothing but enhance his ministry. And, and then in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So Timothy was, he was prepared for his ministry because of, of the faith of his grandmother and grandmother. All we know is that they taught him. They taught him the scriptures. They, they were faithful and they spoke God's truth into his life and, and now he is, here he is a minister. So um, counting on that, um, that wonderful heritage that he had from his mother and grandmother. Um, and so our purpose is, as parents, I mean, these are kind of startling examples, some of them, but um, you know, our purpose is to lead our children, to point our children to a place where they are in the flow of God's grace, so that God's grace can, can that they are surrounded by God's grace, or put in a place where they hear it, where they um, they hear His voice by hearing the Word of God, by having His ear. They know they can pray. They know that God hears them when they pray, and by being a part of His body. That's fellowship. That's being with us together, coming to worship. Um, those are the things that God has given us. And so, why would we not? position our children to be in a place where they hear these things, um, where they can hear and understand. But obviously, coming on Sunday is not not enough. This is something that we have to live out in our homes and in our lives um, every day because we know how smart they are, how much they see, how um, how they can, uh, they can call us to account. Um, just some of the words, I, I'm just going to say a few of the things that we did. Um, in trying to impart the word, the word of God, to our children. Um, when our children were young, um, I have to confess, I did homeschool our children in, in grade school because I know a lot of you are going to say, well, that's nice, but you had a lot more time with your kids than I did. And that's true, and that's true, and that's what we chose to do. But um, I don't think anything that we did could not be done in 10 or 15 minutes a day with your own children. Um, we emphasized, or we had the children's catechism, uh, the simple question and answer format, who is God, you know, how many parts of God, you know, who are the three, what are the three names of God, answering these questions back and forth. We did the children's catechism and had our children memorize some of those, those um, questions and answers. And Kyle, now you get to get up and, and quote everything. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> you just went pale. Um, um, even as simple as doing Bible stories at night as opposed to other other stories, but just letting them know, I think the thing that children catch the most is whether or not you believe where you're getting your information from. So if we're doing Bible stories and we teach Bible stories as truth, 
these, it's not the same as Aesop's fables, and it's not the same as a Disney story, and it's not this, that, that Bible stories, God's word is true. Um, I remember seeing a children's book, and it had like Mother Goose and stuff like that, and it had the story of Noah's Ark in it. Well, I don't really want my children to think Noah's Ark is the same as Mother Goose. Um, and so from a very young age that they know that Bible stories, is, these are true things. These are things that God, God actually did this, and these people are, are, um, um, are really responding and reacting to the same God that you can talk to and that we talk to every day. Um, and then just life application, just as things come along in life, um, having to... Uh, knowing your children knowing that you are drawing upon God's word for your wisdom as opposed to because I said so. And I'm not going to tell you that we didn't say because I said so, because we did. But especially as our children got older, to be able to give them an accounting to, it's like we're doing this because we believe God says this in his word, to letting them know. Um, and if I had to do over again, I probably would have done it at a younger age even, making sure they realize this is not just me speaking. This is what I, I believe God wants us to do. This is what, what what God has for us to do, and that's important. That's important. We're going to follow what God does. Um, one of the best, well, an illustration that I that I love when my da- our daughter was in college and um, struggling some with the things girls do struggle with in college, and she was um, really not pursuing her faith. And, and didn't in college the way we had we had hoped to. We thought that our expectation, but she was talking to Craig on the phone and relating all this stuff and kind of ranting and everything. And and God and Craig spoke truth to her. He said, "He's well. This is what I think. You know, God says that you should do." And she says, "I knew you were going to play the God card," mm-hmm. which is just you know what every parent loves to hear. And um, but Craig's response was, "Laura, it's, it's all I've got." That's, that's where the truth comes from. I don't like if you want any other truth. I, I don't have anything else. That's this is what I think is true. This is what I know is true. So yeah, I'm gonna play the God card because that that's all I've got. That's the wisdom that we count on. And that is, um, he says. So don't. If you're asking me for any other advice, I, I don't. I don't have anything at this point with what she was struggling with. Um, you know. So good, bad, or indifferent. She knew that. Um, that the truth that got that that Craig was telling her was that's all she was going to hear. That we weren't going to change our minds because of her circumstances or whatever. Um, the truth that he had was exactly what he felt God wanted him to say, and and what what she heard. So that's it. You want to go on and sure. pray? Yeah, prayer. Uh, the three means of grace that we're speaking about is, and Alan and I are in a small group that's going through this as well right now, but is to have his ear, no, no, to hear his voice, the word of God, to have his ear, to pray, and to be a part of his body. And those are the, those are the means of grace in which we can lead our children into that the grace of God might impact and influence their, their lives. And that's our hope. Okay? Um, so prayer. I love it that in our service, every Sunday morning, Andrew says, you know, whatever grade from third grade up, you know, stand up. And what does he do? He blesses them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. When we pray for our children... You are a chosen people. You are a royal 
nation you are, a holy priesthood, whatever First Peter said, I can't remember exactly. But pray God's blessing on your children. Pray that God would bless your children, that He would bless them and keep them. I mean, in Romans 6, God's instruction to Moses was, this is how you put your name on my people. That's how you put your name, put my name on your on my people, is you bless them in this way. So when you pray for your children, find scripture. Find passages of scripture that speak to your heart and 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 pray those for your children. Pray those. Pray those verses. Pray that. Um, because they're here this morning when these two got married. Um, it was a crisis. They were planning a wedding here. And God said, no, I don't think it's going to be there because I'm going to let a hurricane go through there and it ain't going to happen. <laughs> so at the 11th hour, truly the 11th hour, um, we didn't have any plans. And they sat down and they took a piece of paper and they wrote down, I can't remember, everything that needed to be resolved, everything that needed to be dealt with, everything that needed to find an answer. And we took that list and we just... We just laid it out, and we, as it says in the Old Testament, and, they sp- and we spread it out, and we just prayed over it. We just prayed over that list. And then we just got out of the way. <laughs> you know, so often as parents, we want to step in and, and save our kids. And, and what I mean by that is when they face difficulties and when they face problems, we want to jump in and fix it. I want to fix this. But we can't minimize the, the difficulties and the suffering that God may be taking our children through in order to bring them to himself. That's a Julianism. Thank you very much. Because, dude, I went in some deep, dark holes. <laughs> um, so, um, so that's my, my, my comment on, on prayer. Uh, bless your children. Pray, pray God's word for them and pray with them. Pray with them. Um, we began um, praying for our children when they would leave the house to go back to college um, or when Leah would go back to Atlanta, whatever it was. And we'd just circle up and we'd pray. And it's gotten to the point, this is just, wow. My son, not my other son, like, He'll be home and it'll be time to go and he'll walk in the room, take his hat off and just stand there. And then it says, I'm ready to go. Pray me out of here. <laughs> you know, so, you know, find creative ways to pray for your children. And, um, and, and I, t- I, I confess as a, as, a, as a man, sometimes that's a hard thing to walk into. Uh, speaking the truth and praying with and for your children uh, is a hard thing to do. Um, and then um, being a part of his body. I mean, you're here today. You got your kids here. If you got kids, they're here. You're being a part of God's body. And um, there's a grace that works as we're here. And I don't know how it flows. We don't control the flow of God's grace. But we've brought them into a, into a channel through which God's grace can flow. And And, and so... This is a beautiful thing. And bring them here. Make it a priority. Make it a part of your life. And um, 
You know, for me, I know in college, in high school, I dropped back 15 and punted because I, I looked at it and I didn't see a reality in my family. We went to church, but Monday to Saturday, it didn't make a difference. So I was just, I'm punting. But I look back when I had come to faith that, that God really used that part of my life as a, as a restraint you know, in terms of just having a compass, so to speak. And when I got started going deep into the weeds, there was that, you know, consciousness that said, okay, you need to check up here. And that was grace. That was grace. Um, and that was God working in my heart. I'm grateful for that. And that was a part of the fact that, you know, my parents would take me to church. And I'm grateful for that. Um Okay, four minutes. I want to. I want us to watch a video. Four minutes. We'll have a question and answer. I think we got a few few minutes to do that. Jordan, my niece's husband, will will do the technique. It's all set up. It's ready to go. Let me. But let me pre. Let me. Let me give an introduction here. This is actually a memorial service, and this is the son of the father who has died, and he's speaking at the memorial service. It's a man, um, Howard Hendricks who was a uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for some 60 years. And they say he had thousands of students, thousands of students. And he was an incredible communicator. Um, and um, this is his son, Bill. It's his youngest son. And um, he, he, he's saying, you know, I know there's those of you out there who want me to say that my father was a great father. And he says, but you know what? And he attributed this, 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 um, he attributed this quote to C.S. Lewis. And he said, all any of us need is a good enough father. And it speaks of grace, really. All any of us need is a good enough father. And he says, because, you know, when it comes to fatherhood, um, how, how do you measure greatness? You can't measure greatness. It's a whole different realm. Um, and so his point is, and, and he even speaks a little bit before this about how his father struggled with depression. And he said, you know, I think part of that depression was he, how he, was, he labored over being a good father and whether or not he was a good father. And so this is a scene. He, he's painting a hypothetical conversation between his father and God in heaven. Go. Today, Dad is standing beside his heavenly father. None of us knows exactly what that encounter looks like. Scripture doesn't provide us with very many details. But in light of all the books that have come out recently on what heaven is supposedly all about, I guess I'm free to offer my own speculations. So here's my fantasy. Ten, day, ten days ago, when my dad was finally summoned home, the first thing he heard the Lord say to him when he showed up was, Well done, Howard. Good and faithful servant. Welcome into the joy of your master. And then his heavenly father said, Now, Howard, we're going to be spending eternity together. That's a long time. 
So there's something I want to clear up with you from the outset. Remember how many times you called out to me about your role as a father? Remember all those times you told me you didn't think you were a very good dad? Well, let me ask you just a few questions on that score. And then the Lord proceeded to give my dad a brief exam that went something like this. Howard, did you love your children's mother and treat her right? Yes. Did you provide for the family I gave you? Yes. Did you hang in there and trust me for grace and strength when times were tough at home? Did you remain with the family instead of running away? Yes. Did you talk about me? More importantly, did you personally have a real evident relationship with me that they could see? Yes. Did you try to instill my ways and my values into your children? Yes. Did you communicate to each of them that you cared about how their lives would turn out? Did you remind them that they have gifts that I gave them, that each of them really does matter, and that they could and should make their lives count? Yes. Did you celebrate their successes? Yes. Did you do your best to communicate that you love them, even if sometimes you struggled in knowing how to express that love, and even if some of those expressions missed the target? Yes. You did all of that? Yes, Lord, all of that. Howard, I know you did all of that. All of that and more. Howard, you were a good dad. My dad was a good dad. And that's what I told him when I said goodbye. There you go. He's got the lights in the back there. And it doesn't really matter whether dad. That's good. It's all any of us need. Is a good enough dad? Are good enough parents? So, question answer. Anybody? I have a question for you. Yeah, absolutely. She's, there's a joke about well, a show, no, but I'm like, not going to go with it. I like what you said about um, the, the story time not associating them you know, with you know, some fables and fairy tales and stuff like that. To carry that a step further, and something I've kind of struggled with is, you know, come around Christmas time and Easter. How do y'all how did y'all handle that? I mean, we we ruined everybody's Christmas about, in our neighborhood. No, because <laughs> <yeah. laughs> it's got to be all about presents and what I'm getting. You know, three months ahead of time for Christmas and yeah. Easter, it's like oh, the giant bunny's coming every year. It's it's so hard. It's, and, and it's what do you so what y'all do? Uh, we, we talked about this this weekend um, because I think Aaron and Jordan are kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, we we uh, did never we never told our children that Santa Claus brought them anything. Um, so they. Uh, we had a book about St. Nicholas and where the whole idea came from, giving without expecting to get anything in return. And um, and so St. Nicholas was a real person. And when you see Santa Claus, that's who he stands for and everything. But, but we never told our children that Santa Claus secretly came in and gave them anything. 
Right. So now yeah. the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you're spending time with your family, your sister always told them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I had three gifts. Yeah. Yeah, and I get scorned by everybody. Yeah, for trying to do three three presents. I get told I'm a bad person. Yeah. Well, and I've been told that I, I rob them of the that the joy fantasy that that you know when they're li- there's just this short period of time where children are so it's just you know the light in their eyes and they just get so excited about something you know and I don't maybe I did I don't know did I you know because I know that there's something wonderful about that too um, I don't think they were less excited. Um, they knew that when they got up on Christmas morning, there was something there for them, and I mean that they knew that they came, they knew they came from us. I don't know. Same thing with the Easter Bunny. Um, uh, they had baskets. They had to go find them. They were hidden. They had to go find them, and everything. But um, but we never said somebody else brought them. We never, for that very reason. And I think Aaron, I think you're the one that said we don't want them to think it's like everything I'm telling you is true. Oh, except. Mm-hmm. Santa Claus, and accept the Easter Bunny. But everything else I've told you about Noah's Ark and about Jesus <coughs> rising from the dead, that's all true, but this is not true. Um, I don't remember it being a terrible struggle. Probably the hardest part is trying to get your children not to tell all their friends that there's no Santa Claus at a young age. Um, so the, frankly, that is the way we handle it. I can't tell you it's perfect. Um, but you also homeschool too, which is an advantage. Which is an advantage because you're right. I wasn't. My children weren't with 60 other children who were all believing so something different. That's true. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell you this. It wasn't probably easier. Because of that. Thanks for that. Huh? We appreciate yeah. It. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, anybody else? Are there any books that stand out to you that the that you all read to the children or that the children gravitated to more than others? You remember Kyle? Mm-hmm. No. No. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Just a fair game. I, I I wish I'd had the Jesus Storybook Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love yeah. that. Now I give it as a gift. Right. Um, just that whole emphasis. I mean, I wish I had known it younger. You know, just to, to look for who Jesus is throughout Scripture mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Um, so I think, I mean, I think that's, I think that's wonderful. Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, illustrated, does that bring Matt Henry come? Yeah. An illustrated, uh, version, uh, kind of a storybook level. Simple. Um, but it's a Pilgrim's Progress. I think we wore that puppy out. Um, I think it's a, it's a good, a good resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, Children's Catechism, like Julie referred to, um, also mm-hmm. question and answer, uh, my favorite answer went to the question that uh, does God have a body? And Kyle's answer was, no, what is God? And, and Kyle would say, God is a spirit who does not have a body. <laughs> okay, so just one little thing to embarrass you, son. Anyway, uh, so the catechism, I'd, I'd find a children's version of a catechism and, 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 and use that. Uh, but there's in the children's story Bible, the one that's out now is fabulous. So yeah, I would recommend that. Um, I remember the, the book we had. It was about the three trees on the hill. Oh, yeah. oh God. That's, that's oh, the one wow. book that I remember a lot yeah. growing up that we always had at Christmas. Okay. So yeah, I do remember that. Also, yeah. You know, I, I think you can find a balance there with Christmas and Easter. I, I just think you need to walk into the, the true meaning of Christmas. 
you know, the coming of God into the world, the advent, I mean, it's just huge. And, and then, of course, the death and burial and resurrection, it's the gospel. Um, you know, bring bring the gospel into the life of your children. Um, What's really funny is, is my brother can't have kids. Anyway, anyway so my, my brother-in-law is Catholic. He was fed, fed, forced, forced, believing in a Catholic school. So my niece and nephew, they've done Catholic and they're Catholic. But my four-year-old seems to know more. Because I feel like they never go to Sunday school. You know, like when they came to my house to dinner, they didn't have a play with my mother. Blew my mind, but like, how do you not be the weird parents you have to totally reject when they're parents? You see what I'm saying? You mean your children not wanting to be like, parents? I don't want my child to be like my brother. He doesn't look like a church because he was forced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you do it? I think it's that consistency and showing what's a priority in your own life. And, you know, because at a certain point, you know, you're 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 done. I mean, you're you're finished parenting, and um, I mean, I think it's that consistency. It's like this is what's important to us. We raised you, and because and we did this because this is what's important. This is we know this is important. We will continue to to do what's what we think God you know wants us to do, but we cannot legislate. You know, we can't legislate at a certain point. They're they're off. They're gone. They're they're going to have to make those decisions themselves. I know it's heartbreaking. <laughs> it's heart-wrenching. Um, and you don't know what God is going to take them through in their journey to bring to bring them to, to faith in Him. And you don't know how old they're going to be. And you don't know, um, you know what that's going to take. And it's going to be different for each of your children. Hmm. You know, we've seen that too. Mm-hmm. God uses different things for each child. I mean, it was, there, was no, there was no pattern. There was no rhyme or reason. Um, in our, you know, in my blueprints, my blueprints for my children look, I had it all figured out, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, God didn't ask me for my blueprints. So, <laughs> so they were completely different. So. Yeah, I, I, it is a process. And, and whatever that process is and however long it takes, I mean, who, who knows? God's got it. And um, I think that's why Andrew's word today about prayer was what a what a fabulous message that was. Um, um, so, um, what a great word. Um, you know, there's nothing like parenting to manifest um, our um, incompetence. And nobody wants to be incompetent. Um, and that's part of what. Bill Hendricks said earlier before we, we heard those, and I have some copies here of those questions if you'd like a copy. I didn't know how many people were come, so I'm kind of limited, but you're welcome to take one after the class. Um, I don't mean to cut off the question and answer, but we're out of time. I, I, I want to close with a passage that of late has really been running around in my head. Um, it's from 1 Samuel 18. It's from 1 Samuel 18, and um, it uh, begins. Uh, it's the it's the relationship between Jonathan and David, um, and Saul has been speaking to David, and then it says um, after that conversation uh, between Saul and David, uh, it says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever he went. And it's really a picture of the gospel. Uh, you know, Jonathan is the son of the king. And so you got to believe that the robe he had on and the armature that he was wearing was significant in terms of it, it spoke that he was the son of the king. He was the rightful heir of the kingdom. But yet he knew that David had been anointed because he had it this time. And he knew that David was going to be the king. And so he goes up and he takes off the robe. He takes off his armor. And he puts it on David. And in the gospel, that's what Jesus does for us. He takes off his robe. He takes off his armor. And he puts it on us. So that we can walk out into life. And I, you know, I'm going to use the word successful. That's a relative term. I don't know what all. You, know, you can take that wherever you want. But... What I want you to go away with in terms of the whole fear of incompetence is that what God calls us to do, he equips us to do it. Okay? And that's really what Ephesians 6 is about when it talks about the whole armor of God. You know what the context is before that, don't you? It's talking about all about the family. Husbands and wives and parents and children. And he says... Put on the whole armor of God. Because you know what? It's a dadgum battle. (laughs) Raising kids. And we know that. And um, so thanks be to God that he's not only by his grace saves us, but he equips us. Our purpose as parents is to lead our children into the paths of the means of grace that God has given. That his grace might flow into their hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your willingness to leave the glory of heaven and come down to this earth and die for us and shed your blood and then draw us to yourself and give us new life. Father, give us grace, give us mercy, give us strength to be parents. And I don't know what all that means, but we just ask you for mercy and grace and we also ask you to pour out your spirit upon our children and in your grace cause them to be born again we ask it in jesus name amen